engaged in this is simply a response to what we see God doing in the early church and a response to some of the instructions that, quite frankly, we don't know how else to do these things. If we're going to just not ignore scripture and say, well, too bad, we don't know how to do that. We have to look for how do we do this? And so we're going to kind of take a look at that. I know for some of you, you're here today, uh, your step of faith, your step in is not small group right this second. Uh, your step of faith is, I need to start coming to church regularly. You know what I mean? Like, I need to take that step of faith. I need to kind of step forward there. So I'm not asking you to go from zero to 100. I'm saying take the next step. For some of you, you've been comfortable coming to church. You've been comfortable at an arm's length. And I want, hopefully, the Spirit to get you a little uncomfortable about the stuckness in your life and about what more God has for you that maybe you haven't considered. So I would say we live in a world and we live somewhat less connected than is healthy. I'm talking about in real person-to-person ways. We don't have quite the space anymore to sit on the front porch and talk. Do you know what I mean? We don't have the time to have... Somebody calls you on the phone. First of all, you're like, why are you calling me? Could this be said in a text, right? But secondly, you're kind of, what are you talking about? What do you want to say? Okay, good. Are you done? I'm, I got stuff to do. Have you noticed that about your life? We have accepted that as normal and real. And yet, sometimes when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you kind of feel like, is this all there is? Just this rat race, just running and doing school and doing work and paying bills. And is that it? And, and people, if you have little children, people tell you this all the time, very helpfully. Enjoy every moment. And you're like at three in the morning, not enjoying the moment. You're like, I'm missing out. I'm not enjoying it enough. Oh. You know, and so we try to wring deep meaning out of stuff. We try to wring ultimate meaning out of stuff that doesn't have ultimate meaning. I believe that we feel this as the body of Christ. But I also believe that our world feels it. I believe that God is good enough for our own spiritual benefit to show us our need Maybe we don't know how to identify what to do about it, but we can tell I'm just not good. My soul is not breathing and living and and vibrant and alive. And if we look, if you're a parent, you look at your kids, you're like, what do I want them to grow up into? What do I want them to be when they grow up? How do I want them to see life like I see life right now? Do I want them to, to live in this rat race? So I believe God is good enough to show us our need. I believe God is good enough to show people their need. And I believe that part of what we're talking about this month, bringing outsiders in, making outsiders insiders, is in response to something God has done in the soul of humankind where we know it is not good to be alone. We all know it. Now, do you know what God, where that verse comes from, where that statement, it is not good for people to be alone, comes from? First couple chapters, Genesis chapter 2. God spent the whole day showing Adam all of the animals two by two. 
male and female, male and female, male. All day, he spent showing Adam animals two by two. And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I think Adam at that point was like, yeah, I know. I think God is in the process of showing the church. It is not good for us to keep living like we have been living, functionally alone. And I believe God is in the process of teaching us that because he is also showing our world that. And if we will grab a hold of this, can you imagine if a church was a place where people who walked in with dry and empty and lonely souls just knew for sure that there were people there who wanted them, who cared about them, who would serve them, who would love them, who would welcome them, who would take the burden off of them. Can you imagine the shaking that the Spirit of God would do if we reflected that? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus invited outsiders in. If we lived like Jesus, where outsiders were invited to be insiders, if we lived in response to some of the scriptures we're going to look at today, I believe that true personal friendship and connection is the earmark of Christianity. I believe it is a byproduct of knowing a God who is a connecting God, a God who reaches across boundaries. And by the way, any boundary that you think you have with someone else, God had a bigger boundary with you. Didn't he? I mean, some of you are like fans of weird football teams. You know, I, like I, because God is such a great God, I can reach across those boundaries, right? But I'm saying this is my walk of faith today, right? But look at the world that we have. We are finding such minimal and ridiculous excuses to say you're different from me. I want to disconnect from you. I want nothing to do with you. And then look at the church. Aren't we known for how we separate from one another? What's the name of your church? Well, my church is the this kind of church, and well, we believe this, and my church is the that kind of church, and we believe that. And that wasn't all bad and evil, but today the, the, the fruit of that is you are separated from you or separated from you. We have allowed the enemy, to wreak havoc on the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God. And I'm saying, hope, let's open our eyes to what God is doing in our world. We can bemoan it. We can wring our hands. We can say, oh man, this is terrible. Or we can say, you know what? God has the answer for this. And God is putting a spotlight on this because deep connection that crosses over any and all boundaries is the hallmark of those who follow Jesus. So let's engage it and let's share it. And let's make it readily available for everyone who would come Because in finding the body of Christ, what they will find, if we are living in in the power of the Spirit, they will find the real answer for their life. They will find that connection is something their Creator gave them so that they could know the hope that He has given and entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for their sins. That He was buried and that He rose again on the third day so that they could be forgiven so that the deepest need of connection in their soul could be met with their Creator. 
In the meantime, we dither about things that don't matter because we're busy. And I'm saying, let's open our eyes to what God is doing. So let's take a look at how the early church functioned, especially in this area of relationship and belonging. We're going to start in Ephesians 4. We're going to start with some of Paul's words to the church at Ephesus, and then we're going to turn to the narrative in Acts 2 about the early church. And as we do this, I want us to just think about how desperately needed this kind of stuff is in this world. And I can't speak about the world at large specifically, but I'm saying I know about right here in South Jersey. I know how desperately needed it is in my circles and in this area and in this region. And so the question we're asking is, God designed the church to do some things. God designed the church to function in some ways. And while it is convenient for us to meet together in a big room and worship, and it is functional and effective for us to meet together in a big room and worship and learn. And it is good for us to do that. It isn't everything that God designed the church to do. And so I'm saying to you, if your first step is I need to find a church and start going on a regular basis, do that. But don't stop there. And if you're already there, let's take the next step. Let's get past the next one because I think some of the things we're going to read today are going to challenge us to things that can't happen as we get together in a big room, the way that it's supposed to. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And Paul, if you're not familiar with Paul, which I think all of us are at least familiar with him, but Paul is one of the the, the most uh, pivotal leaders in the early church. He is the guy going around planting church after church after church. And so what he has to say about church, I think he knew about the problems that churches had and and the the struggles and and those kind of things. And so as he talks about it, he talks about church in a way that I think we should very much take to heart because it is the foundation of what it means to be a church. So he says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of, of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. These are powerful words from Paul to us. He starts off by saying, I urge you. He's not saying I demand this of you. He's not saying what's wrong with you. But he is saying, listen, I'm begging you, church. See what I'm about to say. Hold on to what I'm about to say. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to guilt you. But I am trying to pour out this passion to you. And the passion is that the church of Jesus Christ would live lives worthy. Would live lives worthy. Now, for some of us, our church background, that means we don't curse. We don't steal. We don't cheat on our spouse. And we do the right things. And we don't do the wrong things. And that's a life worthy. And while I... I'm not arguing that those things are a good reflection of the fact that you've been transformed. That's not what Paul is talking about here. How do I know that? Because we read the next verse. You see? So he says, live a life worthy. One that fits what has happened to you. One that reflects the God who saved you. The, the son who came and died for you. That steps into the privilege and the design of what it means to be a Christian. So I'm asking you today, what does Paul tell us worthy looks like? What does worthy look like? We need to be living in response to the salvation that God has provided for us and included us in. So how do we live worthy of that? Well, God is a God who is 
reaching out, who is including, who is inviting, who is doing the work to bring people in to the family of God. It is his spirit that calls us, those who are far away. And it, in the word of God, it doesn't matter how far away you are, right? Is there anybody who can't be saved? It doesn't matter how far away you are. But we like to get the people that are real close. They're the nice people, the good people. The far away, the outsiders, the ones that make you uncomfortable, the ones that you think I'll never have common ground with them. This is who God went after. This is who God had a heart for. Do we? We are called to live in response to this act of God. And so just like God brings outsiders in, we should bring outsiders in. Just like God does the work and sacrifice to be close to those for whom he has every reason to be far away from, we should too also choose to move closer to one another. Can you move closer to one another? Can this be more of a family? Can more people be insiders? Paul defines what he's talking about when he says worthy. He says, verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He almost says nothing about any moral thing, does he? He says, be humble, be patient, be gentle, and bear with one another in love. Now, I might be reading between the lines here, but it sounds like they might have spent some time together. Because if you've got to be patient with somebody, you probably are around them a little bit. There are people that I am acquainted with from afar. I don't have to have any patience for them at all. I never talk to them. Do you know what I mean? It's the people that I'm up close to, the people I'm bumping into on a regular basis, the people I am intentionally connected to. Those are the ones that I have to be patient with. Those are the ones that I have to bear with in love, right? So it sounds like what Paul is saying is that as I live worthy, it's about being close in the right way. It's about choosing to be close to one another, but it's about reflecting a oneness, a unity in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, after these verses, he goes into verse 4 and 5 and 6, where he talks about there is one Father and one Lord, and we are saved in one way, and, and we are one. And so walking worthy is walking in unity, is walking in oneness, the oneness that we are in Jesus Christ. But what happens in church relationships today? Someone gets on your nerves. A church starts to bother you or irritate you. We don't, it's not patience. It's not bearing with one another. I don't need to bear with you. I don't have time to bear with you. You need to bear with me. Right? We, the first word there is humble. Be completely humble. Not partially humble. <laughs> completely humble. What is humility about? Humility is about, it isn't about you. Humility is about when I come to connect, it's not about how I feel in this. It's not about my opinions and I am not the agenda for this. You are. Isn't that reflective of our Savior? He said, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm going to come and give my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. 
Churches today, Christians today, do not embrace a life worthy of the one who saved us when we don't live with people humbly, gently, patiently, and bearing with one another in love. Because I can replace you. I can be done with you. I can move on. I can grab someone else. I can just find a new church. I can find new friends. Or I can just have a bunch of friends who are really shallow and I don't have to bear with anybody. We almost think that that is a spiritual wisdom or something. That nobody ever perturbs us because we never are close enough to anybody to let them perturb us. We feel bulletproof. But we weren't made for this. And that is not the life worthy of what Paul says we are called to live in response to. Moment by moment, it can feel like it makes sense to cut people off, to push people away, to say, well, I got I to gotta watch out for me. But it leaves the church disconnected, unfulfilled, weak, untested, immature. I'm saying to you, there are some things for your spiritual walk and for your testimony and for the cause of Christ that will never happen on Sunday morning because it's too easy to live in unity on Sunday morning. There are a lot of people in here that you lifted up your voice with and you praised God with and we all agreed together on a bunch of things, but they didn't bother you because you didn't have anything to do with them other than just joining your voice to them. But sit around in a circle week by week. Be there for them when it gets hard. Pray for them. Hurt with them. Now we're talking about real relationship, up close and personal. There are things that you need developed in you that only happen in that kind of relationship. We are not the point of our story, but we are called to live in response to the story that's been happening in us. So Paul describes this calling where people are insiders and they belong and they are family and they are connected. That's what we are called to, church. We are called to that kind of unity. In Jesus, we are one. Well, was that just, you know, Paul's time? He's talking about you spend time together. Well, they didn't have all the things we have. They certainly didn't have smartphones and TV and news cycles and the United States of America and and all the stuff we got. And they didn't have all these jobs and working overtime and working weekends and blah, 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 blah. Like we know what they had, first of all. But second of all, I would tell you, if our society is divided and stratified and, and polarized, theirs was too. It was very clear the haves and the have-nots. It was very clear the powerful and the not powerful. And it was the church of Jesus Christ that blended all of these into one. You read, read the book of Philemon about a slave named Onesimus and Paul saying to him, he is your brother. While that doesn't sound hor- you know, horrifying to us, that was horrifying to the first century. That your slave was your brother? That you were the same in Jesus Christ? What are you talking about? There, I would argue there were bigger boundaries and bigger reasons to not be one. And Paul says, if you're going to live worthy of the calling, you need to live like you are connected, like you are one. Love one another across those lines. And when we don't, Paul says it makes us unworthy. We are not living in response to the calling. Now, of course, we are all unworthy to begin with. <laughs> None of us are worthy on our, absolutely. And it's not really about that. It's not really about earning our salvation at all. It's recognize that we've been given salvation. 
and wanting to live like we've been saved. Sometimes people live like they have no hope. Like the power of the resurrection is not still powerful. Like it got spent and the the battery is flashing. The little, you know, need a charge on the resurrection power. The cross is still powerful. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in every heart who believes. And I read, I was reading today in, in 2 Corinthians about the ability the divine power in us to wreck strongholds. And he's talking about spiritual strongholds, bondages and things that have kept people struggling, whether it's fear or lust or or greed or pride or whatever, to wreck spiritual strongholds. We have that power in us. Paul says, live worthy, live like you have it. Don't put it on the shelf and pretend you don't. Live like you do have it. How do we do that? Be completely humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another in love. It sounds like how that stuff grows in us and comes out, how we choose it and we focus on it and God does it in us is when we get together up close and personal with each other. So I'm saying to you, I get that you might not have time, but I wonder, I wonder if we have fallen into ways of thinking that have been served up to us by a culture that is not interested in our spiritual health. I wonder if we bought into ways of planning and and running our lives that actually aren't designed so that we could be worthy of our calling. When we jump from one church to the next, when we find ways to keep our church family at arm's length, when we opt out of partnering together in faithful service and faithful giving, we live against our calling. We live away from our calling. Paul says, God has already done the work. Live like he has in your life. And he goes on, verse 3 of of Ephesians 4, to say this. After he says, bear with one another love, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. This is work, people. This is not coasting along. This is work that we choose to do. It is a choice that you have been given. It is a choice we have been given. and We have been called to it. Make every effort. Work that we are all called to do. What does that work look like? It is a work that we do to connect with other people. It, and you feel it. Every time you say hi to somebody, every time you're, you're having a bad day, every time someone's on your nerves, you feel the choice in front of you. Am I going to make every effort or am I not going to make every effort? Don't we? And how you respond to that, we disconnect it. But the truth is, it is very connected to the power of God in the church of Jesus Christ. Because this is what reflects our calling. This is what reflects what's happened to us. We have tell people that we are all sinners saved by grace. That we are all unworthy, but God has made us worthy in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have hope and eternity and a future. And our identity in Jesus Christ is more important than any other identity we've ever had or we ever will have. And then we're like, but I'm mad at that person. And they're on my nerves. And I'm not going today because it doesn't matter enough for me to give up whatever I... We give up and I don't have time to sit down and pray with brothers and sisters and I don't have time to serve. And when I do sign up to serve, I don't have time to actually go and serve because I have the sniffles today or whatever. You see, we get the doctrine right, but we don't reflect it. 
We know the truth, but we don't live it. And then we're like, well, where's the power? Well, the power is in the faith that produces works. The power is in believing it enough so it drives your life. That's where the power is. And this is the thing we are called to. So we start to move towards people. We do this work to serve with people, to pray with people, to worship with people, to give to, to the cause that we're doing together. We be, we're connected in every way. And then we look to connect others. People who are outsiders that need me to initiate with them, that need me to invite them to sit with me or to, to, for me to engage and get to know them and know what's happening in their life. I'm not saying everybody here is going to be an outgoing person. You're not. I'm glad that you're not. It'd be a very noisy place all the time. But everyone here is called to live worthy of the calling. To the way that God has made you, you are still called to work to make every effort to make outsiders insiders, to be connected to the body of Christ, to be up close and personal with them. And so the question I have today is, are we living worthy of that? Dana reminded me this week of a game that we played with youth group uh, years and years ago, a game called Clumps, which is a really simple game, but such a social experiment, it's, it's really crazy. If you've ever been in youth group and you played this game, you know the difference between being an insider and an outsider. Clumps is a game where you got, you know, we had 50 kids rolling around in a, in a trailer or whatever, and we'd be like, all right, everybody just mix and mingle, mix and mingle, and all these kids are walking around bumping into each other, and then we call out a number, and when I call out a number, they've got to get in clumps of that number, right? So it tests your math ability because you've got to be able to count to six or whatever, but it also tests your friendships, because you would be surprised at how many times somebody in the group is like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and they just take somebody and just shove them out of the group. <laughs> and the person is outside like, oh, I was in and now I'm out, you know. And then when they count, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and they need somebody, how they would go to another group and just pull somebody off of that group into their group. And I think that feeling of needing to be in, that desperation, where is that? That desperation for others to be brought in. Do we have that? The word that he says about make every effort is a word that describes not just work, but eagerness and passion. Man, we want this. Man, this is, this is heart and soul, who we are. It is, it's reflecting when we talk about the unity of the Spirit. He's talking about those within the church. Those who believe, those who worship together. And he says, when God saved you, he made you one. Now, you should have a passion to live like you are. Make every effort. Do what it takes. And I don't know everything it takes. I know we're talking about small group this month, and I believe that's a, that is a functional way for us as a church strategically to live like we are one. But I don't know what it takes for you to respond to that call entirely. So let me ask you, what does it take for you to make every effort to hold and keep the unity of the Spirit in this body? Whatever it is, That's what we're called to do. That's what it is to live worthy. I want to finish by going back to Acts chapter 2. I want to to look at how they lived this out in the first weeks of the church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 down to verse 47. I want to read this. And as I read this, I want you to see how they reacted to this thing that happened to them. It was the, this is the very, you know, very first group of believers and there were thousands of them. So they could, you know, they would get together in the temple courts in in large groups, but they were doing more than that. 
because they wanted to make every effort to live in the unity of the Spirit. Not just theoretically, well, I agree with you, therefore we're unity, but by getting together and being connected to one another. So for us, this looks like small groups, whether it's official or unofficial, whether you call it small group or whatever. This is how they did it, and this is what we're trying to react to in trying to say, let's go forward into these small groups so that we can be like them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's so much there, but doesn't that look like what we're talking about? And by the way, I don't know that we could sell this, but this was small group every night. This wasn't once every other week, see if you can carve out some time. This was small group every night. This was people who chose to be together. And I'm saying, why don't we do that too? Let's do that. You want to? Let's do that too. Let's choose to be together. It talks about, it starts off, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Nobody had like a a prod and kept poking them forward to it. They said, this is what matters. This is what I want. I am desperate for this in my life. And what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching, which is basically the New Testament. I mean, it wasn't a New Testament at that point, but it was the stuff that wound up in the New Testament later on, the stories about Jesus and the the opportunities, the things that he was doing. Uh, The early church has, uh, you know, the book of James is by the, the first pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So some of the things in there are part of the things that they were talking about. They studied God's word and they were desperate and passionate to know what it instructed them to do so they could live like what it told them. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks, about three weeks from now, about passing on our faith to the next generation and, and living out a model of connectedness that our kids can lean into so that they can do what it takes later on in their life. And, and I, right now, what is, what's bothering me in my head is the reality that there is no forum in our world today like there was 20 30, 40 years ago, where our kids will pick up the Bible. Parents, it's not going to fall into their lap anywhere. Anywhere. You are going to have to choose for them to get it. It's going to, you're going to have to be desperate enough to know that they need the word of God and they need to know what it says and they need to know their Lord and they need to be discipled into that. So you're going to have to choose to carve those times out to have them at church and to have them come out Sunday nights and to have them be a part of the things that are happening here at church or they won't get it. Are you desperate for that? Because I think we should be a lot more desperate for that than we are. I feel like if, if God would open our eyes, you guys would be pounding on the door of this church day after day. Teach my kids. Help me teach my kids. If we were desperate for it. And I feel the same way with small group. I feel like if we could open our eyes and see what we're missing when we let everything else take over our lives and we don't respond like the early church responded. 
What happens in small group? Well, if you've been a part of small group, you already know so many of these reasons, but it, it changes your life. There is strength for challenges that you don't have on your own when you get together with brothers and sisters and put it before the Lord. There is clarity in learning from the word of God as well as sorting through your life and the chaos of this world that happens in small groups. Sometimes it's just bunkering down and weathering the storm together. But you know the cool thing is? The celebrations are better. Because your joy is not just your joy. It's everyone's joy. It is shared together and you've walked that journey as you prayed about things or as you struggled with things as you were afraid of something and when God delivers or when God gives victory or when God gives an answer and you celebrate it, it's like we're all partying for this. Don't you want that? We are able to serve Jesus and fulfill our calling together. We are better able to connect others into a group. We have a life-giving connection and life feels like it's more supposed to. This world is broken and fallen, but when we are in relationship, when we have deep connections with people, not just our family or our little inner circle, but people, life feels like God made it to feel. Small group is how we pursue that kind of devotion, that kind of connection. And I'm saying if you're in a small group, please do not make your small group about just you guys and that's it and you're comfortable with one another and that's the end of it. Have a heart for outsiders. And if you're not in a small group, it's going to be effort. It says make every effort. It is effort. It is some work. But I'm saying that's the work we're called to as we live worthy. So I'm saying, church, all of us need to make that effort. All of us need to be devoted to these things. If we are, I don't think we have any idea how much God will do in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our mistakes, in our messes, in all of it that we're missing out on. But we have to grab hold. We have to not let the flow of life stop us from responding to an example that was given thousands of years ago to us by people who first believed and who set a pattern for us about what it means to be a believer. I'm asking us to group up And I'm not doing it so that we as a church can check a box off. I'm doing it because I believe it is what your soul needs and what the cause of Christ needs from this church.